This is the Stories from 1916 podcast. Using first-hand accounts and archive material, we tell the less well-known stories of ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things during Ireland's revolutionary period. Frank Thornton was a Drogheda man who was immersed in Fenianism from a young age. His uncles and grandfather took part in the 1867 Fenian uprising and were forced to flee to America in the aftermath. In 1912 he went to Liverpool for work and joined the Gaelic League and soon afterwards the Irish Republican Brotherhood. Upon the foundation of the Irish Volunteers in 1913, a battalion was formed in Liverpool and Thornton became captain of B Company. Of this company, 67 members travelled home to Ireland to take part in the Easter Rising. After the outbreak of the First World War, Thornton had a job painting camouflage onto merchant ships and became involved in gun running for the volunteers in the Liverpool docks. On one occasion, he and a colleague were travelling in a taxi with a box of rifles on the roof when the taxi collided with a tram. As a crowd gathered in the chaos, they tipped a policeman on the shoulder, asking him to give them a hand with getting the box onto the roof of another taxi as they had a ship to catch. The policeman obliged and assisted the two Irishmen with their heavy wooden box, unaware that he was assisting the volunteers' war effort. Thornton came to Dublin in 1916 and fought in the Easter Rising. He recalled the events and more specifically his treatment afterwards in an interview in 1960. On Easter week 1916, I was instructed by the Commander-in-Chief Seamus Connolly to remain behind in charge of Liberty Hall with a number of citizen army officers and Irish volunteers. We vacated Liberty Hall on Monday evening and I went as OC Imperial Hotel O'Connell Street, which is situated over Clary's, and after a great week's fighting, we were eventually burned out. Quite a number of my garrison were wounded, including Harry Colley TD, Noel Lamass, and myself and some others. And after consolidating ourselves in various buildings, we eventually were compelled to surrender. We were brought to the Custom House where we met quite a number of other garrisons and despite the fact we had a number of badly wounded men in our company, we were left out in one of the courtyards of the Custom House until the following Monday. From the time of surrender until the Monday afternoon, we were deprived of the ordinary privileges which soldiers get and were even deprived of drinking water. They were marched to Richmond Barracks, where all the detainees were held for charging and eventual deportation. Every day we watched the crowd being mustered on the square of Richmond Barracks and marched off for deportation to England. But I was always kept back. I tried on several occasions to get away with the crowd, but without success. Finally, I was charged, tried by Field General Court Martial, along with Sean McDermott, one of the signatures of the proclamation, Harry Bolan and Gerald Crafts. It was a great experience to be with a man of the calibre of Sean McDermott. All those who knew Sean McDermott of that period knew that he walked with difficulty, with the aid of a stick, owing to an old leg injury. And after the court-martial, one of the first acts of his escort when we were ordered to fall in for our march to Kinmainham jail, was to take a stick away from him. When this happened, Harry Bowling came to his rescue immediately and put his arm around him and helped him to walk that long journey to the jail. 
and Gerald Crofts did likewise for myself. As my right leg by this time I got very stiff and sore from congealed blood from my own wounds. On a way to Kenmanham, the open 21 tram passing by always brought a cheer from somebody, even although rifles were pointed at the offender on every occasion. Old and young men stood at the street corners and saluted us, despite being pushed around. Finally, we reached Kilmainham Jail, and Sean McDermott turned round to the three of us, shook hands and said, I'll be shot, and it'll be a bad day for Ireland that I'm not. You fellas will get an opportunity, even if in years to come, to follow on where we left off. Well, Sean was shot like the rest of the signatories, and we, after being transferred to Mount Jai and spending a week there, were sent off to Dartmoor Prison to do ten years' penal servitude. After four or five days in Mount Jai, we were brought down in Black Marais to the North Wall. In the party were Eamon de Valera, Tom Ash, Con Donovan, Gerald Crofts, Harry Boland, and Professor Pather Slattery of St. Andrews. I remember well when the boats were sailing down the Liffey Gerald Crofts singing The Last Glimpse of Erden. We arrived at Princetown Station and were marched from there to Dartmoor Prison. Incidentally, all our party were in volunteer uniforms. There were twelve in our party that night, and as far as I can remember, six of the twelve were wounded. As I mentioned earlier, no attention, good, bad, or indifferent, had been given to the wounded after the surrender, resulting in the bandages in every case being firmly adhered to the wounds. The doctor at Dartmoor Prison was not particularly perturbed at this and ordered the, the warders to remove all bandages. This was done in such a rough manner that in all cases, when they pulled away the bandage, the scab of the wound came with it. After an examination by the doctor, we were issued with old clothing which had been worn by previous convicts. Our wounds were not dressed again, nor did we even get back the old bandages. Needless to remark, we passed a very pleasant night. The rest of 1916 was spent in Dartmoor, until December, when they were all moved to Lewis Prison. It was not long until the Council of Action was formed in Lewis, with Eamon de Valera as O.C., a demand was made for treatment as prisoner of war, but this was refused. The Council of Action immediately ordered that Lewis Jail be smashed up. This was done in no uncertain fashion. A general mobilisation of warders, police and fire brigades on the British side followed, and after a week's scrap, we were battered, hosed and finally handcuffed and sent back to Dartmoor, Portland and Parkhurst, where we had won. In three weeks, we were all released unconditionally and returned to Dublin to reorganise ourselves for the continuity of the fight that brought about the truce of 1921. Thornton went on to become a member of Michael Collins' intelligence squad and was one of the Twelve Apostles, who assassinated 12 members of the British intelligence group, the Cairo Gang, on what was to become known as Bloody Sunday. Later that day, British troops opened fire on the crowd at a Gaelic football match in Croke Park between Dublin and Tipperary. 14 civilians were killed. After the years of conflict in Ireland, he became interested in reconciliation between the two sides of the War of Independence. 
even meeting with British officers who commanded troops during Easter week. He died in 1965. For other less well-known stories from this interesting period in Irish history, go to www.storiesfrom1916.com. I'm Owen Cody. Thanks for listening.